Why don't we start from the beginning? I'm not going to like talk about like sex with Tiger Woods. No. Yeah. Okay, fine. Just as long as we <laughs> Well, that's why we're here. Well, did, did, he have, well, did he have a big dick? I'm just kidding. I'm just At totally, dinner, I'll tell you. I'm totally kidding. Um, you, Kelly wanted to, to learn more about you. you, about where you're from, how you grew up. No. Okay. But I see that your grandmother was uh, pretty famous. She was in the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of funny that you were in the entertainment business yeah. as well. Who was your grandmother? Uh, her name is Pat Yucatel, and she, um, you know, when she was 18 years old, she married my grandfather. But before she, and he was older, and before she married him, she was a, she was a star. You know, she was a actress, and Doris Day was her understudy. And my grandfather decided he didn't want her to. Um, you know, people to see her and people to watch her and see her flourish like that. Mm-hmm. It made him jealous. So she had to give up her role in whatever she was, you know, put in. And Doris Day got the part. Later on in life, Doris Day becomes very famous. So it's sort of a run, not a running joke in my family, but sort of that, you know, her life was changed, you know, and ruined sort of because she could never see her full talent, so to speak, um, because she decided to, to get married and have a kid and all that kind of thing. But um, she had all sorts of famous friends. They had a very fam- famous nightclub called El Morocco in Manhattan, um, which if you watch um, any like Barbara Streisand movie, um, you know, all these, El Morocco was very famous, it had the leopard walls and you see a lot of um, nightclub scenes of older movies that use El Morocco as their, as their backdrop. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really so cool. I have a history with, um, with that. Did, did that influence your life in any way, her experience and not being able to achieve her dreams? I mean, that's a really good question. I, I think maybe subconsciously it did. She always would say to me under her breath, um, a man will never define you. You will define the man. Um, you know, she, she always wanted to make sure that I was financially stable and I had my head on my shoulders because she felt she, like she gave so much up for a husband for a life for her child she had uh, her only child was my father so and um, my father died when he was 44 that devastated her and to be honest she never got out of bed after that so she was really heartbroken from that loss never got over it and she just felt like so many things happened to her that was the cause of a man um, whether it was her son or her ex-husband or her current husband that she had at the time and um, she wanted me to learn the lesson that be my own person, you know. Then, and then you suffered a, a huge loss. I did, yeah. I mean, well, first when I was 15, my father died of a cocaine overdose. So that was the first loss that I had. I was in boarding school. I was in one of those therapeutic boarding schools that has actually since been shut for um, abuse. Um, it was called SIDU. It was based on the Synanon cult. And at the time, we didn't know that. Our parents didn't know it either, but it was based on a cult. We had to dig a grave with a spoon and lay in it and write our own epitaph. I mean, I was 13 years old, you know? Um, so it was a very strange school, but, um, but when you I grew up in, in, in Manhattan, in Manhattan. In Manhattan yeah. Um, so I, I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. My parents started cable television there. They were from New York city. They went there on a date, stayed there. It was a great place to be an entrepreneur. So they, um, started, from scratch. Um, my dad came from a very rich family, my grandmother and my grandfather who owned the nightclub, as I said, um, but also he was very embarrassed by their wealth. Anyways, long story short, he went to Alaska um, with my mother on a date. They stayed and they became entrepreneurs in their own right. They got married there. Um, and 
Um, I think that they were there for maybe seven years. I was there till I was five. And then my parents got divorced and I moved back to New York City with my mother. When I say back, she moved back, right, to yeah. New York City. And then um, I grew up in Manhattan. I went to a private school. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Manhattan, um, and then when I was 12, I was sent to this boarding school in California. So I, to answer your question, I lost my father when I was 15, and then when I was 26, I lost my fiancé um, in the World Trade Center. So yeah, I, re- I, had, I remember that, and you had a picture of... She's on the cover of the New York Post. Yeah, you were on the cover. How did you get chosen to be on the New York Post? So I was in, uh, I, I had gotten a notice that, so after obviously the day of September 11th, I came home, I was working, I was at Bloomberg News, I was working, I'd gone to work at 5 a.m. Where'd you go to college? University of New Hampshire. Okay. So I, um, I was there, I obviously saw well, what happened. You were happened. born in 75, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems to me. Yeah. And we were covering the story, so obviously I knew what was going on, and I stayed at work that day till 5 hoping that when I got home, Andy would be home, but I knew that he wouldn't. So the TV stayed on for at least a month, and then people were staying in my apartment with me um, that I shared with Andy. We were engaged. So, um, you know, I think it was, let's see, September 11th was a Tuesday. On Thursday, I, somebody was on my computer and saw that his name was on a list at Bellevue Hospital. So I went running over there. Um, and at the time, I don't remember why we thought it was like normal to make those. I went to Kinko's and made that sheet. Like if you see Andy, this is what he looks like. Here's where he's last seen. This is what you should know about him. And, um, so I had gone to Kinko's, I made these flyers and I went to, um, Bellevue and I stood in line with everybody and it was terrible. It was terrible, but it was great because you, it's not like my, my fiance was like killed in a bus crash and like I had to deal with it by myself. Everyone was dealing with loss. But so the people in front of me, he would say, who are you missing? Who are you looking for? What happened? When was the last time you spoke to him? All the questions were always the same. When was the last time you spoke to them? Where were they? Could they have gotten out? You know, and then you talk to the people behind you and you hear their story. And one is more terrible than the other, right? Yeah. So you all feel in the same boat, you know. And so they would go in the room and see if their person was on the list. And every the line was huge. Every time someone would come out of the room, they'd be sobbing. So you knew that they were not on the list. But all these people were there because they had originally heard that their loved one was found. So that was pretty terrible. And you're hoping... You know, you're, you're not just thinking about yourself. That was yeah. what was really incredible about that, that time. You're praying that that person was on the list for them because they're just devastated. And uh, it was horrible. Anyways, so I get to the front of the line. Andy, of course, is not on the list. But when I came out, the media was standing there like a paparazzi line, right? And there is a wall of pictures. And I guess I had just put the picture up 
of Andy. And they said, can you tell us about him? So all the lights go on, you know, all the cameras go on. And um, I had been working at Bloomberg, so I knew TV. Like I, so I, and it's funny because every year CNN plays, replays the video. And I'm this young 26 year old girl. And the night before I had just, the night before September 11th, two nights before we had gotten back from Greece. On Monday, I cut my hair really short. And Andy was like, I had really long hair and I cut it to hair and Andy was like, Oh my God, you look like a wife. You know, yeah. you look so different. You look pretty, you look like a wife. So I have this short hair and I'm very efficient in front of the camera. Okay, so Andy is 32 years old. He works at Sandler O'Neill. He was, you know, he was on the trading floor when this happened. He was there for the 1993 bombing. I go through all the details. Anyway, and the, they're like, thank you. And the camera, the lights kind of go off. And someone had the wherewithal to keep snapping the picture and the, and the video. And after the cameras went off, I just looked at somebody, it's gonna make me cry. And I was just like, he's everything. You have to help me find him. You have to help me. Yeah. And I was just this young girl that was so lost and it was so terrible oh, to so not sorry. know what happened. I'm really sorry. Yeah. But that was the worst feeling to like reach out to strangers and be like, please help me. Because the not knowing was so terrible. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. So anyways, sorry, that's when that photo was taken and it was an Associated Press photographer and the picture was not only on the post, I mean, it was, we all know it because it said New York's tragic face and it was a very famous photo, but it actually that day ran in every paper, almost every paper in the world from New Zealand to Indonesia to Germany and... At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Um, to this day, it's been, what, 23 years now, whatever it's been, 22 years. I get calls and media requests. And the best part about it, I mean, it was terrible that the photo was taken because it was so my most vulnerable moment, but it makes Andy's name, you know, people want to know what happened to him. I get to remind people of who he was, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyways, I forget what the question was. But well, that was I, a I, I don't know if you know, happened. I was there that day. I, I mean, don't know. That's yeah, I was, he was the very first person. I was the first reporter to go live on a network. Uh, network oh, wow. On 9-11. I was there before the towers fell. You were down there. You I was five blocks north. I was on Church Street in Warren. Oh, wow. I was five blocks north of the World Trade Center. I made it all the way up to the North Tower, like a block away, and the cops wouldn't let me go any further. Mm-hmm. They were still on fire. So, like, I'm. It's the first chapter in my book. You know, I'm. I've been tied to that day. Yeah. My whole career. I went to Afghanistan right after. You know, because I wanted to follow the troops who were right. looking for Bin Laden and the whole thing. You know, it's just. 
it, it was a huge part of my career. Not that it compares to what happened to you, but it no, just but kind everyone's, of... No, but everyone has a moment that, you know, for them that is... Um, it, it's an interesting thing because if you've been through it on some level, whether you've lost someone or you were there, um, I think it really affects people like in their bones. It's something you can't get rid of. It's yeah. something that you can't even describe to people. Everyone kind of watched it on TV, right? Or they were somehow everyone was able to be awake that morning to watch I the towers fall. Newspaper. I was working at a Gannett newspaper called the Arizona Republic, and we have you know we had TVs around. So. Yeah. And I remember, and I was married, uh, and I remember thinking, oh my god, like everyone, everybody just stopped. Mm-hmm. Everyone just. Stop. No, I mean, in Arizona. Yeah. I, mean, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Well, that's how it was. Guys. That's yeah. how it was in Manhattan. Everything yeah. stopped. But the crazy thing is, you probably saw me on TV that day. I know. I mean, we were all connected by it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, you know, a terrible day and a terrible thing for you to have to go through. And, and did they ever find his body? They did. Um, so every, so I had, we were living together. I had to get rid of my apartment. I went and stayed with my mom for a little bit. And they forwarded my mail, and I remember they would just send an envelope with no note, anything, but pieces of, like, his ID that was burned. I would get, you know, like, two months later, three months later, you know, whatever different things that would come to my house. And then on New Year's Eve of that year, they called me and said they had found his body. And to me, the biggest question was, like, what was the cause of death? I need to know, like, was he burned? Was he... Like I know that sounds horrible. I had to know because I needed to know how he died, um, and it was blunt force trauma. Um, and he was on the trading floor. He was on the hundred and fifth floor. Oh, hundred fifth floor. Yeah, and wow. I, and it was their trading floor. But if if you've watched the, it was the first tower to fall. Yeah. The second tower to get hit. But if you watch the video, the where he is, the building turns to the side and then falls down and crumbles, you know, everything below it. Mm-hmm. He was in the part that twi- tilted yeah. to the side. Yeah. So, you know, I always hoped that, like, as that was happening, he got knocked out. And um, But I know he was there because I was on the phone with him, and I knew he didn't have time to run down the stairs and, wow. um, and all that. So I, I still, to this day, have PTSD. If I watch the video, I get chills. Yeah. I get chills. Do you have that? Do you of have, course. There, yeah. there were years that... On the anniversary, you know how they always play all sorts of movies and documentaries. I would watch those and ingest them because I, it made me feel like I was back there. Because not only did I lose somebody, I was covering it. I was I was the one that was at Bloomberg. To, Andy was the one telling Dylan Radigan, I don't know if you know him, but he yeah. was our anchor that morning who was stuck on air from 8 until 12, um, who was my best friend at the time. And I was a producer then too, so he was. I was getting information from Andy and I was in the IFB telling Dylan what he was seeing. Dylan knew Andy and then after that happened, after we lost Andy, Dylan was on air and I'll never forget, after he was, he got off at 12, we met outside for a cigarette. And we just went through that, there was like a rotunda thing. we all cigarettes back in the 90s. And we walked back out and it was just the two of us outside and it was silent. Remember how silent it was in New York? And you see these people walking up Park Avenue with white soot. soot, just in silence. And we looked at each other, and we kind of, it's this horrible to say, we kind of started to laugh. We're like, this is fucking incredible. This is not.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply not real right yeah, like we're gonna wake up real <coughs> and i remember saying I, I i wish it was a year from now so we would know what was going to happen so we know how that's this is going to turn out because i didn't admit to myself yet and i didn't have the evidence yet that he was dead you know he wasn't home yet i couldn't reach him on the phone but i knew it right and i was just like how is this going to turn out mm-hmm. and he was like i don't even know what to say to you he's like this is so fucked up yeah and then we went back inside and we went back to work I was calling airlines, I was calling traders to see how it was going to affect the market because I was, I was like, this is crazy. What do I do? You know? Yeah. So anyways, to go back to your well, point, I've lost some men in my life yet that have affected me. So, so you're going to get married and then right after that, because we all want to know, uh, how did you meet Tiger Woods and how, were you in Vegas? Were you a promoter? Like, what did you well, change? Well, your life careers? changed pretty dramatically, right? My life changed. I was very much like, Andy was a very smart, charismatic guy. I was very, I felt like lucky that he picked me, right? And um, after that moment, I became very in charge of my life. It became a little bit cold. I became, you know, I grew up a lot. I was 26, but then at that moment, Everything in my life changed. My whole future changed, right? So I became a different person, and um, I I don't really know how to how to explain what happened to me, but I just didn't believe in things anymore, right? I didn't yeah. believe in love. I didn't believe in fairy tales. I didn't believe I'd find somebody because now I'd lost my father in a very tragic way, um, and. I, you know, the person, the man who's supposed to love you unconditionally. And then I found this amazing man who loved me like that, who I didn't think I could ever replace him. To this day, I haven't, you know, so I've never mm-hmm. found anyone like that. So I was just like, this is, this is terrible. This is going to be how my life is. I'm going to have to depend on myself. So I got very, um, hardened. Yeah. I yeah. became hardened and I didn't really, I cared, but I, I it was very, I can't went into a shell. So long story short, I ended up, uh, I got married to somebody actually for a little bit, a childhood friend, because I was, I wanted to be married, right? I, I was, that was what I was planning and um, that didn't work. We weren't even intimate with each other. I, we were just best friends and the friendship turned sour because it wasn't working out. How long, how long was that? We were married for about a year and that was probably like two or three years after, it was 2004. Okay. Um, and... I came home one day and I said, um, this is not working. And he's like, I agree. So this is actually a great story. I went to the Mercedes dealership and I walked in and I said, what car can be ready by Thursday? It was like a Saturday. And they told me, I'm like, and remember at the time you had those like um, SOS buttons on the top yeah. and you could talk to the girl? Yeah. yeah. So I was like, make sure it has that and because I'm going to take a trip. And in the meantime, they're like, okay, it'll be ready on Thursday. So. I had this friend, Hillary, who I'll never forget. I have to get her on my show. She was dating a guy, and he. she came home from a trip. She went home to Texas. She was visiting her mom. She came home. She found a used condom in her bed, the bottom of the sheets. Oof. So she was devastated. Oh and I was like, great. Hillary, 
you got one bag. You can pack one bag. I had two dogs at the time, Rudy Giuliani and Ozzy Osbourne. I said, it's me, you, Rudy, and Ozzy, and we're getting in the car. I have a bag for each of them, bag for me, and a bag for you. We're going to just drive. And I don't know where we're going, but when we get to where I want to be, I'll fly you home. She's like, fine. So my car arrives on Thursday morning. What kind of, what kind of Mercedes was it? It was a SUV. Uh-huh. Um, I don't remember. Like okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. A nice big one with the yeah. thing at the top. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I press it and I'm like, we want to head. And at the time of Triptex, do you remember a Triptex? Yeah. You could call and get like the, the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would yeah. give you the, yeah. the guidance. It's, our, it's like our Siri. Yes, yeah, right. Like but at like the time, they sent you yeah. a navigation thing. Yeah. So I said, we just want to head towards LA, but like, you know, the direct, most direct route. I guess it's 95, whatever. So it gave me a route, and I'll never forget. This is really like kismet. So we're driving out. It's raining. I say goodbye to Stephen, my husband. I said, I'm not going to call for 30 days. Let me just figure out what I want to do. So we get in the car, and uh, we're just turning uh, into New Jersey, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, my phone rings, and it's Jason Strauss. I don't know if you guys know Jason, but he owns Tau. And yeah, at the time, yes. Tao was not open. He was my very first kiss when we were 12. We had dated on, on and off since we were 12 years old. Uh-huh. He's the owner of Marquee, Tao, yeah, yeah, all these yeah, places. Yeah. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I just left Stephen. And he's like, okay. And I said, That's I'm driving. At Tao. Oh, That's really? My, yeah, my baby daddy. And I said, <laughs> I'm, I'm just driving. He said, well, why don't you come to Vegas? I, you know, I don't trust anyone here. The women are you know, why they're waitresses or strippers or whatever, I could use you as my right-hand person to, like, help. So I said, okay. So I hung up. I hit the button on the top. I said, take us to Vegas um, with, like, a drive of 8 to 10 hours a day. So she did that. So the woman so came back. So you drove from the East Coast, mm-hmm. from New Jersey, all the way yeah. to Vegas. Yeah. yeah, I lived in Manhattan at the time, but we had just driven yeah. into the New Jersey part. Right. So we started driving. And every day we stopped in, you know... There, do you know that there's a cantaloupe capital of the world somewhere around Indiana? The what capital? Cantaloupe. cantaloupe. Did not know that. Did, Did not, not know it either no. until we got there, but everything's made out of dried cantaloupes. Okay. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. But we just went to the sponge capital of the world in Tarpon Springs. Yeah. Like, See, who knew? Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> Very interesting. So we drive, we get there, and while we're there, my, so my grandparents lived in Las Vegas, so I knew where I wanted to live, and I somehow Googled, it wasn't Google at the time, whatever it was, yeah. Yahoo or something. Yeah, I, I like, uh, it no, um, uh, it was um, Yelp. Maps. Ask yes, no, Ask something like that. And I got the name, uh, I'll, I'll never forget, his name was Malcolm Bird. He was a guy who was a real estate agent. I called him, I said, I want to live in Las Vegas Country Club Estates. I want to have a pool, um, you know, and I need the keys Wednesday. So we pull up Wednesday and this tall six foot five, really old guy standing there with the keys. I have a five bedroom house across the street from my grandparents. It's $2,500 a month, which is fantastic. Right. Uh On a golf course. And, um, that's it. And I really, and so Hillary, by the way, was like, I'm not leaving. This is great. Jason gave her a job at the nightclub. Um, and we plan on not staying for a long time. It was a month-to-month rental, but we had, I ended up staying for five years. You know? Five years. Yeah, and I became known as like the first lady of Vegas because Jason and I started dating again. He was the owner, but I was really good at my job. Like right. I handled everything for their business. So who did you meet the most? Like were you starstruck or no? No, I wasn't starstruck because being from New York, you're just like you see it whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
But I mean, I met everyone from Britney Spears to Prince to um, J-Lo was big at the time, Madonna. I'm trying to think who everyone was super excited. You would um, handle their tables? You would get them set up? So my job, I was the director of VIP operations. So it, I was in charge of the people that spent the most money in the casinos. And the casino hosts would bring them to me and I would make sure that they were handled properly. Was, to, this, was this Maloof's? No. no. What, 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 it was what Venetian. Was it? Venetian. Venetian, yeah. Venetian, that's right. Yeah, so um, to all the celebrities. So like when a celebrity would come, they would get my name. Um, you know, like uh, who hosts the show with Tamara? Uh, Teddy Mellon. Teddy. So like Teddy, for example, was sent to me once. I have her cell phone number on my phone because she was a, cl- a bottle service customer. And I, I remember being like, Somebody saying, oh, it's John Cougar Mellencamp's daughter. You got to take care of her. So yeah, with celebrities. That's all, that's all she has. Right. So with, <laughs> with everyone, um, you know, you, ha- you knew how much they had to spend. It was also my job to make the money, the money for the club. Because if right. the owners came out, everyone would be like, oh, I'm friends with Jason. I don't have to pay. So it was my job to be like, well, sorry, Jason's not here. You got to pay, you know. Yeah. Um, so I would make them, you know, between 350000 a night to a million a night, wow. depending on what night it was. Like on New Year's Eve, right at the beginning, we were making a million. Now, I'm sure it's way well, beyond. I heard that was one of the highest grossing or the highest grossing uh, bar restaurant. But now they're club. like, what, like 50000 now for like a bottle service sometimes at You places. know, I don't think that it's like it was. I mean, maybe. Uh, but at the time, we were selling not bottles, but tables, right? Yeah. So the minimum would be like a thousand. But there were times that I sold a table, I was doing like negotiations. These guys would be like, we'll take it for three. They're like, we'll take it for four. I'm like, well, I'm not selling until somebody pays me 10. Mm-hmm. And Jason would be like, what are you doing? You can't, I'm like, watch, they're gonna pay. And they did, it was fantastic. So, wow. um, and then you would learn how to put like a table of guys with next to a table of models or whatever, and then they'd spend more. There was just a whole way to do it. Uh-huh. And I was very good at it, because I took it seriously. It was like running a live show from Bloomberg, which I was very, I became very good at. So it was like the doors would open and it was like this wax on, wax off, karate kid moment of like, oh, I've learned all these skills in my life. I'm great at this. I can do this. So I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. Um, I took my job really seriously. And then I had an immediate boyfriend when I was there, which was Jason, my childhood love, right? So it was very comfortable for me. Um, And I did very well there. I mean, all of a sudden I was making my own money. I didn't have to depend on anyone. I ended up buying a house there. So that's where you met Tiger Woods. No. That's no. where I met Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. And did you Derek, go out with Derek Jeter? I did. And um, like, let's name, because this is like what I like. <laughs> what guys did you date that we know that are famous? Because this is what I would like. Um, well, I'll tell you some of the ones that are already out because I am writing a book. And then we'll okay, good. the other no, ones in there. Really but no, okay, so Derek Jeter, um, um, Stephen Dorff. Um, do you guys remember yep, him? Yeah, the actor, yeah. Yeah. Um, PK? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah PK. PK, PK I met, I met um, doing... No, I met him in New York, actually. So he would come into New York to our club he in New York. He looks older than... Like, he's almost our age, and he looks way older. Yeah. Doesn't he? I don't remember his age now. Oh, yeah, he he's looks like a lot older. Yeah. So he was in New York. He would come in with these, like, guys who looked like they were from Dubai or something. I don't really know. And he would always show up in his Rolls Royce. And people were like, so that's my job to handle those kind of clients. So I would handle him and he was a nice guy and he would spend 20000 and he spent 30000 And in New York, that was a lot of money. Vegas, we were getting the guys who spent eighty, let's say. So one night, he spends eighty in New York. 
And then that he became $80,000. Yeah. Then that the became a, New York. Yeah. No, it wasn't Tao. It was Marquis. Okay. So oh, then Marquee, it, that yeah. became a big deal. So then I was like, and he was always hitting on me. Oh, you know, let's go out. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I was like, that's never happening. Just not was happening. Before he became a household name. Oh yeah. No one knew who he was. Okay. I mean, people. No, you, in, you. Did, like, oh. like, like you were all over TMZ. You were um, all over. You were. All, when did that happen? That what was year? during the time. That was 2009. So yes, it was before then. Okay. Okay. I mean, I was a big deal in the nightclub world. Of I mean, course. any celebrity or whatever would know my name back then, but because they needed to know me to get into the club. But it wasn't like, main, you know, mainstream people knew me. Yeah. I was on TMZ a couple times being seen with like Ryan Seacrest, or that's another one. Um, but, you know, Is or Stephen Dorr. No, he's not gay. Okay. No. I really was. Uh, no, he's not gay. Okay. Um, a very reliable source, but okay. No. I mean, you know, you never know if people yeah. swing a couple ways yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But no, I did not experience that with him. No. Okay. And he's a great guy, actually. Who was the best lover that you had? Um, the best that's famous. I don't want to answer that. Oh, well, okay. Uh, you really? Well, then put that in your book so we can read it. Okay. Okay. I would have to actually think about that. Okay, let's talk. There was a couple that okay. time. That's 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 good. Did that's you go out? Your but 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 people you wouldn't you would be like, wait, what? Okay. So. Like a Ryan Seacrest? It wasn't PK. <laughs> it wasn't PK, let's say that. Like, I would not think that guy was a good what, But what? I will say with PK, a year after dating him, I somehow fell madly in love with him. With I really PK? did. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you guys know him? No. I don't know him personally. I've, I've been with Dorit though. I've done a couple of yeah, events. Yeah, there's with something about him that he's lovable and sweet and he takes care of you and he is, um, you know, there there is something, and it's very funny, I developed an accent when I was with him. Oh, like Dorit? Yeah. Did you really? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What was the Jeter experience like? Um, Jeter is a great guy. Yeah. Totally humble. Um, fantastic guy, takes his job really seriously, was not scandalous in any way, like good guy, hmm. really liked him. You know, I, he would he would have a really hard day, like they would lose a game and his friends would call me and say, you need to go to Derek's house, he really needs you to be there. And I would walk in and he was just like sitting there kind of somber watching the replays or whatever it was. and. Uh, he was a good guy. He took his he took his role seriously. Was that in that in that Trump building by the yeah. UN? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in there. Someone told me he lived. I once visited someone who had a high floor. It was insane. Yeah. And they said Jeter lives in this building. Yeah, the the um, views up there are pretty phenomenal. Yeah, ridiculous. Like yeah. the whole city. Yeah. So, um, can you what can you tell us about Tiger? Can you talk about that at all? It's just kind of weird that we were just in Isleworth right like three days ago. And now here we are sitting in your home. It was crazy. I just was like it's a nice by that by that Versailles, that Queen of Versailles or whatever. And mm -hmm. they're like that Tiger Woods is right there. And we were in the clubhouse and he had the I course records on a plaque. I thought know. he always lived in Jupiter for whatever reason. He did. He did. He had a place there. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Or yeah, they did together, I think. But anyway, I don't know if uh, but that area is very nice. Uh, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to talk yeah. about that. But you did have to sign an NDA. I did a little bit of research. I did. And you went with Gloria Allright, Red, or whatever her name. Why? Why did I go with her? Yeah. Did you feel like she was kind of like a... I went with her because I used to be a Nancy Grace fan. Do you guys remember Nancy yeah. Grace? Yeah, of course. And Nancy had three um, lawyers. She did not kill that little boy. <laughs> that little girl got murdered. Right. <laughs> 
She had a problem with people in Florida. She thought that we were all murderers, people that yeah. live in Florida. But anyway. No, it was because of that Casey Anthony. Of course. She was huge on that. Top yeah. mom. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, she always had three lawyers on. Gloria Allred was one. Mark Garagos was another. And um, the woman with the blonde, curly hair. I'm blanking on her name right now. She started. She did the original Menendez case. But anyway, she. those were the three. I called all three. Because my name was was all of a sudden in uh, everything, yeah. and I had about fifty paparazzi outside my apartment in Manhattan. I did not know what to do. Yeah. So, uh, a friend of mine, I'll never forget his name, Mark, called me and said, "Rachel, you have to get a lawyer. You have to, you need some sort of representation." I didn't know a lawyer, so that's how I I figured I would call someone. Yeah. And. Um, Gloria's was team was, was the mean? first team that called me back. Did you think that was a mistake? To hire her? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, in the long run, um, the, well, there is an article in the New York Times. It's like a 20-minute read that came out like two years ago where it talks about how I've had to defend myself for basically a decade in law cases against not only... Um, Tiger's team, but against Gloria. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in hindsight, it was a mistake because, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing. I think that it opened up a can of worms because I think a lot of women think that they can accuse someone of something and then go to her and get a payout. That's not what happened in my case, but it read like that in the media. Yeah. Um, And that is absolutely not the, the truth of what happened in the situation, but... It looked like that. She had never canceled a press conference before in the history, before or after me. And she cancels a press conference. And then it was terrible how that looked. Um, so, and it was obvious that there was money exchanged or whatever. And, but it's not for reasons that people think. It's not, you know, it, it was just, and it, again, it's all written in that New York Times article. I kind of don't want to get into it because I'm protected by their lawyers. Yeah. But, um, but it was difficult to not have people in behind you for the right reasons. I didn't want to come out and talk about anything. I just wanted my name to be protected. And um, I ended up losing my sense of, like, I didn't, I didn't have my name anymore. I couldn't talk. I couldn't be, quote, unquote, famous because me being written in the news was breaking my NDA, even though I wasn't writing those articles, right? So um, it became a very difficult way to live. What's the biggest misconception about you? Um, you know, that I'm a homewrecker and that I'm, you know, I don't care about women. Uh, I'm, you know, I just cheat, you know, have men cheat on their, their wives and I don't care about that. And I'm this like weapon of mass destruction. People call me, you know, like that is so not who I am at all. I've never cheated on anyone in my life. I believe in monogamy. I believe in love. I want to be with one person. I want to witness to my life. Like I'm, very emotional about that. Like I'm, I'm very much a recluse because of the things I've been through, um, and I'm not, um, I'm not somebody who normally would cheat. At that time in my life, um, there were things going on in my life that I made the excuse, and then things that were said to me, I, I went with that excuse. Like you know, when the most powerful man in the world, let's say, I mean, everyone, you know, when people put somebody on a pedestal like they did to some of the people that I dated at the time, you know, that person says, I can't, I cannot uh, do something without you there. I can't win unless you're there. 
you know, whether or not that's true is not the issue. That made me feel like I was credible. It made me feel like I was worthy and loved. And when someone like that says that to you and everyone wants to know that person, but that person only wants to be with you, it's very hard to say no to. Um, so you didn't really think about the consequences. I definitely didn't want anyone to know about it. I didn't want to hurt anyone, but I was hurting inside, right? I had lost all this stuff in my life and I didn't know really what love was. I mean, who knows if I even do now, but the point is, is that I felt like that was love at the time. And so I went with it. Um, so of course there were mistakes made that I feel terrible about, but that was between certain parties, not the whole world, right? So when the whole world finds out and uses you as the monster that like took down someone that they all love, it's a terrible place to be because you can't recover from that. And they blamed you for his career going off the rails. Seems so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's not fair. Um, well, no, it's not fair. I mean, no, it's not fair. I mean, every, there's two people in a relationship, right? right? I mean, two people make, I didn't throw somebody down the stairs and force anyone to do anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, but no, it was a very terrible circumstance. People forget that there was a lot of other women that came out. There was a whole other scandal, but for whatever reason, my name stuck. And yeah. um, that's been terrible for me. It was hard to get my daughter into private school. It's, it's hard, you know, she's 11. It's still hard sometimes. People are like, oh, I heard that your mom made a huge mistake 11 years ago. That just happened recently. It's like, why are wow. people still talking about that? That is so ridiculous, you Do know? Do people ever approach you on the street in a negative way? Do you get recognized? I do get recognized, but yeah. not, I don't think anyone has the audacity to say something in a negative way. Mm -hmm. They, as soon as I walk away, they probably oh, no, they do. do. The keyboards. Well, yeah. Kelly has a lot of trolls who come after her, but everyone who meets her in person is a huge fan. They right. love her. They uh, want to take shocking. a picture. Like, like, as there's yeah. like bots. Like, what is this? Right. You have the because trolls. sometimes you'll hear, I'll hear my name said. I wonder if you go through this. It's like Kelly, and you're like, oh god, are they going to be like, go fuck yourself, or are they going to be like, I love you? You know. Well, it depends where I am. So, yeah. Like here in. Florida, everyone loves me. It's like, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. Same in New York. I, I feel like everyone loves you everywhere, though. Like, yeah. you, you get haters on the internet. Yeah, it internet. would take a, somebody with a lot of balls to go up to you in person who doesn't know you yeah. and give you a hard time. That's what I always try to remind people of. It's like, when people are like, oh, people say such bad things about you. How do you deal with that? It's like, well, don't forget who you're talking about. No one says that to my face. So, like, if they have a problem with things, at this point in my life, I realize that's them projecting. It's triggering something in them that has to do with them. It's not me. They don't know me. So if they have issues with me and don't like me, that's their issue because I've done nothing to them. Mm -hmm. I've never met them, right? So if they don't like my behavior from 14 years ago, that's also on them because it's like, what, have they never made a mistake? Have they never screwed up? Um, and imagine if their worst mistake was something that people were still talking about 14 years later and that's how people decided if they liked them or not. I mean, I didn't murder someone. I wasn't in jail. But sometimes I feel like it would all almost been easier if I was in jail because I would have done my time and then gotten out. Uh -huh. But you don't get out from a scandal. You know, your people still know you as that scandal. So I've done a lot of like renaissance woman type of stuff to try and figure out how to get away from that. Um, and some things have stuck and some things really haven't, you know? So like I opened a cl two clothing stores. They did really well. They won all sorts of awards in Manhattan and in Scarsdale. But people would walk in and be like, look at the business card and be like, oh my God, your name sounds so familiar. Oh my God, you know, do I know you from college? Yeah. You're not the same Rachel from 
the Tiger Woods scandal, are you? And it was just like, what's wrong with these people? Like, <laughs> you yeah. know? I'll never forget meeting somebody at like a jazz bar, a guy, I said my name, just Rachel. And he's like, oh, like like the girl who fucked Tiger Woods, like that hoe. I'm like, huh? You know, like, what yeah. are you, you're talking to me. Like, he didn't yeah. realize I was the same person. Oh just the God. first name. And I was just like, how do people, you know, a year ago I was dating a guy that I really liked. This is only a year ago. He invited me to a private club here in Florida. And that night, about an hour before we went, he got a phone call and he's like, oh, the couple canceled on us. I'm like, okay. And I don't know what made him tell me the truth because he didn't have to. He was like, you know, the wife didn't want to be seen with you. She didn't want to bring you to the private club. I'm like, didn't want to be seen with me. Why? Like, it didn't even register. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, you know, because of the scandal with Tiger. I'm like, let me ask you a question. If they were inviting tiger to dinner would she scoff at that i'm like what's the problem with me i don't Very get good it question it's right. so ridiculous it made yeah. me really angry yeah and it affected his relationship with that couple for the seven months we dated eventually we broke up because there was too many issues with stuff like that where i think he felt embarrassed of me almost and i'm mm -hmm. like what and it was like well how am i going to introduce you to my kids what am i i'm going to say i'm like what kind of question is that? You're not explaining someone who, again, did something so terrible that it's like you can't find the words to talk about, you know, you're making an excuse for why you're dating me. I'm like, what is wrong with everybody? So in the press, it says that you had to pay back Tiger Woods some kind of settlement money. Did you have to? Um, in the press. Let me think about what is out already. Um, did I have to pay him back? No, but I, I did not get my full. She didn't get the, the rest of I didn't the get the full amount. Money. You didn't get the full settlement. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Oh, wow. Right. That it was a have... large settlement, and yeah. I did not get a portion of it because they said I broke the agreement, which I did not. Um, and to this day, I will say I did not. But um, at the end, during the mediation, I was finally like, well, I don't care. Take, take it. Take the money. It's not about that. I want you guys to understand I cared about this person. I, wouldn't, I wasn't trying, you know, me being on celebrity rehab and never talking about that. They only brought up losing my father and losing Andy as a love addiction. Um, how was how that, uh, that breaking my NDA? But they said me being famous was breaking my NDA. Me getting gigs like that I was only famous because of that situation. So then it became, well, I don't have agency to do anything. Like, what do you mean? Like, I can't get a job. It's not like I can go get a, even a school teacher because I'm too scandalous for that, but I can't do the television things that are offered to me because I have a famous name. So what am I supposed to do? Um, how are you and, supposed to make a living? Right, how am I supposed to make a living? Right. And um, so that, to this day, has always been an issue. And... Um, I ended up suing Gloria because I realized during that situation that she was being paid um, by Tiger side to get me to settle that way and that she was representing five to seven other women, which was a conflict of interest in my opinion right. um, and was not representing just me. And it was yeah. becoming like a, a money grab for her. Mm -hmm. So that to me was a problem because did I, I took it very, I did. And I okay. took it very, very seriously. Like you don't get to do that to me. Right. And it was very much a David and Goliath thing. Um, but you know, I have a problem with, you know, I don't believe, I believe in NDAs. I think they're fine to sign. I, um, but arbitrations are the places where like NDAs go to die. It's like a very scary place to be in if you, you know, are 
represented by one lawyer and you're up against a machine mm-hmm. and it's very hard to win in a case like that. Also, it's silent, right? No one gets to see what's happening to you and if you don't have a voice and you don't have the money to go up against people like that, it's very scary. It's very scary. Going back to Vegas for a minute, um, what happened? Why did you, how did the Vegas thing end? It was going so well, you were crushing it at Cal. Uh, well, what happened was I left Vegas a little bit before. That's, no one's ever asked me that. Um, Jason and I broke up and it ended up being difficult for us to be in the same club business, me running the club for him, while he had a new girlfriend every week. And while I was dating other people, it just became, that was like the beginning of the end, even in my opinion, for the hospitality business that they used, they created. It was so good back then. And I had a team of 10 hosts that looked up to me, that loved me. I was like, the, again, like I said, the first lady, he was the owner. Um, and once I announced I was leaving, things really changed. And it, to this day, it's not the same. I mean, it was phenomenal the way we ran that club. Um, but I moved to New York to represent their New York properties and that was, they had five New York properties at the time. So I would just deal with the celebrities. They would call me and say, so-and-so is in Avra, so-and-so is in, you know, Tao. Can you make sure that they would give me a car service and I could bring the celebrities to whatever nightclub they wanted to go to. Lavo. Exactly. So I was bringing them all over the place and then we started to have our Hamptons component. So then I moved to the Hamptons for the summer. I had Dune was the first one we had. And um, so I was doing it that way. So and I ran it like we did in Vegas, which was very much about money. Up until then, nightclubs in New York, it's like I could write a whole book on how nightclubs are run. But um, in New York, it was very much about what you looked like. And so it wasn't about money. So, I mean, I'll never forget a guy that came to the Hamptons to work with me for one summer was very well known in the New York scene. He had a scale that he brought and made girls stand on the scales, humiliating. And I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't do that. And he was like, I absolutely can. You think I'm gonna let this heifer in here? I'm like, what? I had never seen that they before. They would get sued today. Yeah, wow. today they would get sued. I'm shocked back then yeah. they didn't get sued. It was terrible. Yeah. But the way they ran clubs back then was very, you know, it was a lot of bullying and it's like you had to be someone, you had to look a certain way to get in, but they made no money. So they brought me there to help them make money. It was like, we don't give a shit how, in my side of things, I don't give a shit what you look like. I mean, men, they had to tuck in their chains, they had to put in their their top a little bit, you know, if they were sloppy, um, I would just be like, you know, fix yourself a little bit. Um, Women, didn't matter, but it, it was like, we wanted to make money. So mm-hmm. that was why I was sent to these places to make money. Once my name was in the press, I was hired to be the gatekeeper, right? And know a lot of secrets from people. I knew their wives, their girlfriends. I hung out, you know, I facilitated evenings for them that they were not being such great people. None of my business that wasn't, you know, but I, somebody who was very famous um, smoked, for example. He was an athlete. Didn't want people to know he smoked. I, he would hand me his smoke pack cigarettes of c- smoke smoke cigarettes, cigarettes, oh. nothing big deal. But if yeah. people found out I, it affected his career, I guess, yeah. I don't know. Gave me his pack of cigarettes. It was like, no one can see me smoke. Keep these. Don't leave my side. So I hung out with him the whole night, you know, anytime. So I would light a cigarette, smoke, and then he would, you know, take a couple puffs. That's, you know, so those guys, so people would trust me because I would help facilitate Things like this. Mm-hmm. When I've said that in the past, people were like, oh, she's a fucking madam. No, I'm not facilitating somebody having sex in the corner. Right. If they want to do that, that's on them. Right. But if they yeah. want to meet a girl, 
I have no problem introducing them to somebody. It's none of my business what happens. You're a host. Yes, I yeah. am a host. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I liked that role. I liked trusting people. I was very good at it. I never crossed the line. I never was sleeping with men, men for money or for to get them to come in because I also was smart enough to know if you did that, they weren't coming back. Like they got what they wanted and they left. So I was everyone's best friend. I loved that job. Once my name was in the paper, it was much different. I was the most famous person in the world back then for a long time. That was the biggest story in the news. So I could not go to work because I was too famous to go to work. Uh, there would be paparazzi outside the club. And I had to basically hide out. I had to become a recluse. And not only that, people were scared that I was going to tell their secrets, you right. know, to get out of something. So I would see all these, you know, comments Oh yeah, I know Rachel. Oh, you know, and I would see the stuff and I'd be like, that person doesn't know me, but they're nervous that I'm going to turn on them. Mm -hmm. So they would say something before I could say it, right? So that, that must have been really challenging. It really was so challenging. challenging. I loved that job and I was good at it. And I made a ton of money. So it was terrible to lose my credibility. Would people give you money like under the table? Like, uh, yeah, it was a cash business back yeah. then. Now yeah. it's not. But when I lived in Vegas, we were making just on tips. Um, close to $10,000 a week in cash. And I remember they told us, you cannot go to the bank and put this in. It has to be 9999 yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you get flagged. So I had all this money like in a case in my house. Damn. I went and bought a Porsche. I went and bought a Range Rover. I bought a house. Um, I bought an $800,000 $800, house, spent 500000 on upgrading it, paid all of that in cash. Oh, my Incredible. God. Wow. Yeah, because I didn't know what else to do with it. <laughs> Once I left Vegas and moved to New York, um, a bunch of people got um, investigated by the IRS and they changed it to, cap to uh, tips that were you had to declare. Yeah. So I was glad that I got out when I did because I yeah. lived the great life there. You know, what made you move to Palm Beach? I only moved recently because... Um, Your daughter? Well, I hate the weather in New York, let's just say, number one. It's too hard to be a single mom having dogs and a kid having to get up and go to school in the morning and taking an uber or driving or whatever the weather just bothered me i didn't yeah. like it also it's you know people are very individual there you know everyone's hustling and dealing with their own problems right which i loved because you know that you could look out the window and you see all these other windows and you know someone's fucking miserable also over yeah, there, yeah you know <laughs> for the most part everyone is yeah and i i had you know, listen, I've been up and I've been down. I've lived in terrible railroad apartments that like you could sit on the couch and your feet could touch the other side of the wall. Mm -hmm. Awful. And then I've lived in 3,000 square foot apartments that like were fantastic and beautiful and I loved. But I just, it was, I didn't like that lifestyle and I felt like I wasn't seeing a lot of people. I was a single mom. I couldn't go out, you know, if unless I had like a live-in nanny. You know, I wasn't, and I didn't, I, I wasn't going out a lot. I wasn't meeting the right people and it felt very lonely. And I also could not um, find a job there. Like I started my business there, my clothes, you know, the, the children's store and it did well, but in co right before COVID I closed it. And, um, you know, I could not get my feet off. I couldn't find my way there for whatever reason. I'd just been there too long and I needed to shake it up. And also I needed to get away a little bit from my daughter's father who I felt like was very difficult with me. I just needed a change. And mm -hmm. so far being down here has been fantastic. Like Good. I started my podcast down here. I, you know, I've done a lot of things that, that, um, 
here feels like it's much more freeing and I'm much happier. Do you ever feel like you want to open like another bar or restaurant? I would love to do something like that. I would rather be paid probably as like the consultant because then I'm not really tied to it. But I know how to do that like the back of my hand. I'm good at it. I love it. I think it's really fun. If somebody came to me and said, I want to do this, I would be all in because I think it's so fantastic. And I I literally know how to, it's a hard business to make money in. I know how to make money in it. But the best part of it is the customer service. Like I love knowing who's coming in. I love knowing the clients and they come for you, you know? So that's why I love a business like that. Why is your podcast called Misunderstood? It's called that because my in my past, um, I was reduced to a single headline. And I spent the last over a decade, I was on a mission to change my narrative. People had made a narrative for me that wasn't true. I was very misunderstood. You know, at some point in my life, only recently, you know, it came to me like, I can't be living in the past. I, you know, I've interviewed all the time about my past, but it was sort of like, how can I take what happened to me in the past and move that forward? And I realized I had a great platform because so many people are misunderstood. They don't have to be famous. They don't have to be in a scandal, but like everyone can identify with being misunderstood in one way, shape or form. So I started by thinking of what celebrities, well-known people have been in a scandal or something where they've been reduced to a single headline. Um, So I started with that and then I broadened it because I was like, there are so many topics that are misunderstood that deserve to be reconsidered. And um, I just thought that was really important. And, and I'm now in the incoming phone call business of managers or even celebrities or athletes or politicians or whoever that are like, I want to tell my story. I want people to know my side of things because it's not fair when the media and I've been part of the media, I get it. But like when the media narrates, version of you. It's hard to get that out of people's minds, right? And it always bothered me that someone didn't like me because of what they read. I was like, you know, if someone meets me or they hear my story and they don't like me after that, fine, no problem. But at least I got to say who I was. At least they got to interact with me. They got to be, you know, they got to know me and then make that decision. But it bothered me to think that people didn't like me or had an opinion of me while I was so misunderstood. And I... I can relate. Yeah. Which is why I had you on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, when people read stuff about you, about you, about me, whatever, that, you know, no one has their own opinion anymore. It's so bizarre to me that people don't know how to read something or watch something on the news and say, okay, well, that's one side, no problem. But like, let me do more research or let me, you know, I just, it's so... um, shocking to me i guess because i was trained at bloomberg which is like facts only right you know yeah. you can't have an opinion you just have to report the facts but it, it bothers me when i listen to people like water cooler talk and they're talking about the housewives or they're talking about people or talking about situations like they have authority on it right. they don't for the mm-hmm. most part they don't and i don't like that it offends me you know because i'm like how do you know that person how do you know why they were that reactionary how do you know why they did what they did And people come into those conversations with their own experience, which is they know how they would react, Mm -hmm. but they make such comments about other people. And that's always offended me, which is why, again, I do my podcast because I think it's so important for people to share. How can people find you? Um, They can find me by listening to my podcast, which is on Apple Spot and Spotify and anywhere you get your podcast. And um, I am on Instagram, which is Rachel, you could tell NYC, I think. Okay, great. Yeah.